On a world spinning its way to damnation amidst the fear and despair of a broken fan base. Who's left to pick up the pieces afterwards? Handkerchief Dynasty. I am, as always, your secret professor, joined by friend of the show, Mr. Zach Lang of Oilers Nation and the Nation Network. Hello, Zach. Hey, a friend. I'm honored. That's such a nice thing for you to say. And beautiful intro, by the way. Very eloquent. Thank you. Thank you. I do what sums I can. Everything up very, sums everything up very well, too. So here we are in front of microphones, uh, tasked with discussing the Edmonton Oilers now, you know, a couple of days after their exit. Um, What are your thoughts uh, in total on the series? And should people be freaking out on a scale of one to 10? How much should people be freaking out? I mean, I think if, if, you know, 10 is, is underworld panic. I think we're somewhere in the, you know, four to five range. I mean, there's, there's reason to be concerned. There's, there's legitimate reason to be um, upset with what transpired on uh, the same breath. Um, you know, not that it means a ton, but they had a pretty great regular season and obviously, you know, getting swept in the first round of the playoffs is never what any team ever wants. Um, I think it's the weirdest sweep the NHL's ever seen. Um, I don't think I've ever heard of a team um, outplaying and dominating the way the Oilers did for, you know, basically everything but a period and a half uh, and still coming out without a single win. I mean, in my eyes, game one, you know, the first 10 minutes of that game was, or the first period of that game was pretty poor from the Oilers. Uh, and then obviously the game, the collapse in game three was um, devastating to say the least. Right. And I thought for the remainder of the series, the Oilers played really, really well and, and probably deserved to, 
um, deserve to be having a much different fate than they had right now. So, um, you know, Connor Hellebuck remembered that he's a Vezina caliber goaltender and one of the best in the NHL. And I think that was a big reason why, you know, the Oilers are sitting here sitting, you know, saying what the hell happened and uh, why weren't we able to, to even win a single game here. Does a lot of it come down to Winnipeg's depth players outplaying our depth players? You know, I mean, they had a lot of guys that people had, had question marks beside, beside their name on the, in their defensive core, and they all played admirably, you know? Whereas we had Ethan Bear giving away, like, like with, like, the most egregious giveaway of, like, all time, et cetera. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think there's an argument to be made that the Oilers – lack of depth through their lineup is a major issue um you know winnipeg is is a pretty deep team up front especially on the back end not so much like i don't think the jets are a very good defense team at all to be honest um they get bailed out a lot by you know a world-class goaltender in connor hellebuck um who you know in the regular season was uh pretty terrible against the edmonton oilers and then again like i said um, you know, remember that he's one of the best in the, the league for good reason. And, and he, he showed that out there in, in the four games. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, um, you know, I think you'd like to see obviously more depth scoring throughout your lineup. Um, you know, you'd like to see Connor and Leon break through. You'd like to see them get some damn calls, um, which is, you know, a whole other, a whole other topic of conversation. Um, I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, coming back to what, you asked me at first I don't think the panic level should be too high because of the fact that I thought the Oilers played a really good series um I really think they did so um undeniably frustrating to sit here um though and and saying you know what just happened when we watched the Oilers um getting swept in four games against uh, an inferior uh Jets team does this change, does this series in particular, like I'm not one for overreacting to a small sample size of games, um, but do you think this series crystallizes that we need, if we're going to have young defensemen in our defensive core, we need them in like the six, seven slot instead of in the top four, at least until no, they've I demonstrated don't... an ability to, you know, play well at that. Like really, we've been, we've been chasing the ghost of Ethan Bear's rookie season for a while now. He's taken like a, at least a step and a half back. Uh, I, don't know. I mean, I I'm not, I, I'm not, I don't want to throw him under the bus here, but no, no, I understand. If we I mean, got I think... another big defenseman who could eat a lot of minutes, you know, we wouldn't have to be trying like uh, an Ethan Bear with Darnell Nurse, et cetera. Yeah, know? but you got to remember that Ethan Bear and Darnell Nurse were one of the Oilers' best defensive pairings before Tyson Berry came into, into here, right? So but have, have uh, they, have they regained that form like this season much, though? As a pair, well, no, I think I think I think Ethan Bear definitely took a step back in his game this year, you know, compared to his rookie season. You know, he definitely had a bit of a sophomore slump. Um, again, I still thought that he, as a whole, was a good defenseman for the Oilers this year. I really do. Um, so I, I don't think that you know, obviously, you know, there's some mistakes that were made um, by Bear, uh, just like there were mistakes by made by mistakes made by Connor mcdavid and Leon sure. Dreisaitl yeah. and everybody else like josh archibald taking you know the the worst penalty i've ever seen taken sorry josh but that was a bad one um so i think it's it's hard to single out ethan bear as a guy um that was bad in this series because i didn't think that he was um i think as a whole the Oilers defense 
was good um, for the most part, right? Like we they kept they kept us in they kept us in games. They forced three into overtime. Um, Mike Smith probably wants to have a couple of those goals back too. You know, uh, I mean the game winner in, in game three that was a tough one. Um, you know, a long shot from the outside that he saw, and then same thing with Kyle Connor last night. Um, you know, a long shot that he had an eye on. So. You know, those are those are undeniably goals that he's uh, probably wanting back as well. So, you know, but Ethan Bear, he's a really good defenseman and he's going to be a big part of this franchise for a very long time. So um, I think for him, it was good. It was good that he got that chance to play on the top pairing. Uh, you know, I think it was good that he's getting that experience of playing in different situations, playing when the game's on the line. Um, you know, what about Dave Tippett, you know, really shortening the bench in overtime? Um, I mean, was that, exactly the right play either especially when you're benching guys like Alex Chase on who got you the the go-ahead goal in the second period a guy that looked good stepping into the lineup or you know what about Jujar Kara who scored in game three as well he scored the fourth goal on a beautiful tip in front he was generating a lot of shot attempts uh, all series long so you know I think there's an uh, an argument to be made that it's it's more than just uh, on the players too and that you know the the coaches um, could have could have done some things differently as well. So you take issue with like the deployment, especially in overtime? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I mean, I, I it's hard because I, I see it from both ends, right? I see that, you know, as a coach, you, you, you want your big guns to be going. You want your top six to be the guys that are out there for the most part. Um, but I didn't really feel that any of the bottom six guys that sat necessarily had bad games either. Um, so again, I, I understand, you know, it's, it's, single overtime, double overtime, triple overtime, you know, the most likely guys here that are going to score are your, your star players. Right. But then you've got the Peter Klima argument too, right. You know, stepping off the bench and I can't remember which overtime period it was, uh, you know, to win the game for the Oilers. Um, so, you know, I, I personally would have liked to see, you know, Tippett sticking with more of, of rolling through all the lines. Um, but I also do totally understand why, you know, Darnell nurse played, 62 minutes last night and 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 that sort of a thing too yeah for sure um well really me this do you think we're we're too small as a team do you think we need more size through our lineup no i don't i mean i think i i understand that you have to have big teams like typically big teams win but i think it's a tire trope to be honest with you um i would much rather have a team of the most skilled players that you could find um instead of a a play a, a team of players who are you know big because big um, well i mean not, not because, because big i mean you know we have skill obviously we want speed or size and skill i mean that's why that's yeah. why zach cassian is around for fuck's sakes like we need someone yeah. who's like a zach cassian but actually good yeah i mean i think i think there's you know 32 teams in the league that are looking for a good a zach cassian that's good so um undeniably there's there's value in having that as a player um you know what is there out there in terms of of finding somebody like that right now. I, I haven't had a chance to, to really sit and dig through the free agent lists or, or who could be ahead of the trade market this summer. Um, so, you know, maybe come back, we, we could talk about that one in a, a future episode, but. It's going to be a know, crazy, think, crazy think, free agent year, I think. Like, uh, who knows? Be, yeah, it's going to be a big one. You know, I think the Oilers definitely would like to get some more sizes up in their top six. Um, you know, Cocoon was good um he's a good player he wasn't great um but i think he's a guy who who you can replace in the top six with somebody with some size um 
And I think, you know, going into next year, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see the way the Oilers uh, deploy, you know, McDavid and Dreisaitl uh, based off of who they're able to, to pull in um, from free agency in the trade market. Because, you know, I could see with the emergence of Jesse Pugliarvi, I could easily see Pugliarvi and Nugent Hopkins becoming a one-two punch on the second line next year uh, and moving forward. Um, and then you can stack McDavid and Dreisaitl all year and just let them, you know, run show on the, the Pacific Division. But um, I mean, in, in the short term, yeah, I do think that the Oilers could definitely add some more size to their throughout their lineup. Who, who's on that second line with Nugent Pugliarvi? Just for the sake of argument, is it Mar- was it Ryan McLeod? I mean, yeah, it could be could very well be Ryan McLeod. Um, I mean, I don't know if if he's going to be you know ready to take on a full time top six role in the NHL. I thought he looked damn fine doing it um, against Winnipeg. I think he's a really good player. I think he's a really smart player and somebody who could. Um, probably flourish in that sort of a position. Um, you know, Kyler Yamamoto, I think, could be a good a good fit there too. Um, you know, he's a smaller guy, but he plays he plays a much bigger style of game, and I think he would be able to play off of um, you know a guy like Jesse Pugliarvi, especially in the offensive zone. Um, I think they're both guys who who love to bang bodies around, and they're really really hard on the forecheck. Um, and I think Nugent Hopkins is is still a very very good very good player um, and somebody who could help pick up some of the defensive um, uh, picked up on, on some of the defensive end stuff too. Um, you know, and then you, you have a chance to go out there and find, um, you know, a big guy um, or a skilled player who can play on that top line alongside David and Dreisaitl. Um, and then you can kind of see what can go from there. Cause I think Pooley showing um, that he can drive a line on his own. So well, I and McDavid's he, also showing that he doesn't seem to like playing with Pugliarvi. And I can't really blame him because oh, I don't I know just, if it's, I don't know if it's actually the most amazing fit long-term. Like it was decent enough for the, for, for this season for now, but I, I don't know if there's I a mean, long-term, I, I don't know if there's any really real chemistry there. There's a little bit because they're I mean, both, I, they both I, got I, skill and anyone can put up some, some numbers playing with McDavid for sure. But in terms of like the puck distribution, like that's when you saw McDavid getting super frustrated, you know, when, he was right there trying to break out from when Pugliarvi had the puck along the boards and he clearly just wanted it to pass it to him while he was in stride. And instead, like, Pugliarvi yeah, just, mean, like, tried to, like, flip it, like, uh, into the neutral zone. I mean, I think it's a – I think in my eyes, Pugliarvi's the perfect player to play alongside McDavid. And I think mm. that there's a, a really good fit there long term. I think, um, you know, especially last night, it's, it's, a, it's a heat of the moment sort of situation. So – you know, I think, you know, for the first time ever, we saw Connor McDavid uh, laying into somebody in the middle of a game for the first time ever. Um, and it just so happened to be Pugliarvi. And those are the lessons that Pugliarvi has to learn too. I mean, like it's his fourth playoff game of his career. Um, so he's still learning and he's still a young a young player who's, who's learning and developing overall. I thought they had chemistry all year. Um, I thought they were very productive pairing. And I think uh, Jesse Pugliarvi is a, a very, very good player. I think he's got the size and the reach. Um, he's got the tenacity. I think that can play off of McDavid very well. Um, I think it's just a pair that has to uh, grow and learn a little bit over time. You know, all throughout the year, we heard nothing but good things from, from you know, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Tippett when it came to Pugliarvi and his game. Um so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it all depends on, on who you bring in uh, this offseason. I think that that's uh, that's one of the biggest things that could potentially impact whether or not Pooley RV plays alongside McDavid or not. 
I mean, it really seems like a legit uh, third line center to anchor a third line because, uh, you know, some commentators have said, you know, they don't know. We don't really have a third line. We have two fourth lines, kind of. Mm -hmm. um, to be honest, I would not be averse to Kenny Holland, like trading some some younger roster players in a package deal for for a veteran that could make that could really move the needle, I think, you know. Like, to be honest, like, yeah. I, li I like Yamamoto and I like Bear, but I kind of consider them both trade chips at this point. Um, I don't think, I, I wouldn't not giving up on them. I think they're both going to have long NHL careers. Um, but at a certain point, you can't have as many young players on the roster as we have. At a certain point, you need a little more age, a little more experience, a little more moxie. I mean, when people like James Neal and Mike Smith are coming in and they immediately become like huge leaders in the teams, that speaks to something, you know? And James Neal's probably yeah, not going to uh, be back next year, really. Mike Smith yeah, I don't probably disagree will with you. I don't disagree with you there on that note. I mean, I, I wouldn't be uh, – I mean, I, I don't think either Yamamoto or Bear really should be trade chips. I mean, I'd probably trade a guy like Caleb Jones uh, five or ten times over Ethan Bear. Um, so yeah, that's probably of how much more valuable. Probably just because of how much more valuable a right-handed shot defenseman is. But, like – it, it's the age old story. It's the Jeff Petrie thing. Like that's the way that I look at it. Mm. Like, you know, so we're going to just treat Ethan bear like Jeff Petrie and trade him for, for magic beans. I mean, yeah, that's a really difficult situation to put uh, the team in, you know, I think, no, I mean, these are all trades where we're getting the best player back though, you know, cause oftentimes well, you, like when you're trading a top young prospect, it's for a player that's as more established, you know, yeah, but that's easier said than done, right? I mean, take a look at the Philip Forsberg and Martin Girat trade um, that mm -hmm. happened, you know, what, eight years ago now, right? Mm -hmm. That was the argument for that exact trade. You trade, you know, Philip Forsberg, who's this young, you know, might be a good player down the road for Martin Girat, who's, you know, the gritty, wily veteran who, you know, could come in and put up some points and it just completely backfired. Um, you know, I would rather take a shot with Yamamoto and Bear uh, than try and trade them away for, for other parts. Um, I think there's other assets in the organization that you could trade uh, before that. And I'm not even sure if, you know, the Oilers would come out on top. It's, it's a very nice thing to think that the Oilers would always be coming out on top of a trade. Um, but I think, you know, through what we've seen uh, in the last number of years under Ken Holland and under previous regimes, um, the Oilers' success rate in the trade market historically hasn't been very, very good. Um, so I, I would be a little hesitant to trade one of those guys. Um, but that's, uh, that's just my, my perspective on it, I guess. You're listening to Handkerchief Dynasty with Zach Lang. Um, please follow us on Twitter at HandkerchiefDY1 and on Patreon at patreon.com slash handkerchiefdynasty. I've decided our post-game three episode is just going to remain in the Patreon vault because it was a very intimate, very vulnerable, very difficult episode. Um, okay, well, here's, here's a question for you, because I think there's going to be some turnover. So I'm going to give you a name. You give me your hunch, your gut feeling, whether they're going to be playing for the Oilers regular season next year, okay? Nico Koskinen. Okay. No. Jujar Kara. Yes. Um, Zach Cassian. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I could see him back. I, I don't think, I don't think I could see him being traded um, at this point. No. Okay. Um, 
Ethan Bear, you're already a yes. We know. I'm sure yeah, Yamamoto, yeah, you're definitely back. a yes. Nuge, yeah, Nuge are resigning for sure. Do you think yeah. his his value yeah. has gone down a little bit due to his like really kind of like like lackluster regular season by his own standards and like he may oh, have that man, a nice goal in the playoffs, but he can't be going in with the head of steam in those negotiations, can he? Yeah, no, it's actually really going to be interesting. I mean, I think maybe it, it might help um, the fact that he's had a bit of a down year in a contract season. I mean, down year based off of like what he's been able to do in the last two or three seasons. Um, but interestingly enough, his like points per game average is only like 0.06 below what it is for his entire career right now um, for like this season. So, you know, all the while his underlying numbers are the best that he's posted of his entire NHL career. Um, he, he controlled drove play in terms of shot attempts and expected goal rates um, at a much higher percentage than he has in the past. So, you know, I know the Oilers aren't big uh, at all on analytics, so that's not really going to help um, Nugent Hopkins's argument, I don't think. Um, but you know what? It might mean that you can get him for five and a half, six million versus six and a half, seven million um, that you may have may have otherwise needed to pay him. But I do think he's back. Yeah, I don't see him. I don't see him going anywhere. Okay, Tyson Berry's agent calls you up tomorrow and says, five times five, let's get it done right now, Kenny. What do you do? No, nah, I'm walking. You're yeah, walking I'm walking from five I, times five. Yeah, I'm walking by five times five for sure. That's okay. the term. It's the term okay. that scares me. Um, for me, I, I don't even, I'm, I'm reluctant to even re-sign Barry on a one-year contract, even at the same rate that he did this year. Um, and I know there's not a lot of people that are going to see it that way. Um, but I think Tyson Barry's defensive woes did not offset his offensive production in my eyes. Um, and I think you have a guy in Evan Bouchard who can step up into the Oilers lineup as an everyday player next year and help to replace some of the offense that you lose uh, from Tyson Barry. I think that's kind of the best way to look at it. I would much rather take the money you'd be spending on Tyson Barry and find yourself, uh, you know, a top nine winger who can put up 30 points, uh, you know, 40 points for you next season. I think there's more value in that. Um, when you look at the, the contract, not only in the short term, but the long term, as well as the development of Evan Bouchard, um, I think you know, you're at a net win if you're able to pull in a 30, 40 point winger um, with that money and, and have Bouchard uh, slide up in the lineup. And then Adam Larson, Kenny Holland's probably like going to push hard to resign him. Does, does he take a yeah. discount on what he was making before, you know, like 4.1 ish or does he take in less you think? Yeah, I don't know. That's going to be a really interesting one. He had a pretty incredible season. Um, he was the second best defenseman in the NHL in terms of wins above replacement uh, for defensemen. So that's really, really good. Um, he had a definite resurgence in his game. He was finally healthy. Uh, the back injuries that he's fought through for the last number of years seem to have, have healed up pretty nicely for him. And he was great for the Oilers this year. Um, I've not been a big, very big fan of his over the last number of years. Um, doesn't have to do with the trade or anything, but rather just, just his own game and what he's brought or, or what I felt he's lacked. Um, but I do think he comes back. And I, the more I think about it, the more I'm okay uh, with Larson coming back. The big scare for me there is the term more so than the dollars. Um, I mean, I would, I would be more comfortable, you know, giving him like a two-year contract uh, worth like four and a half or $5 million than giving him a four or five year contract worth, you know, three, like $4 million or four and a half million. 
I think you try and go shorter and you pay a little bit more for him. Um, you know, he is 28 years old. We do see that defenseman can start to have a pretty significant drop off in their game around 30, 31 years old. And as somebody for Larson who suffered, um, you know, back injuries throughout his career, um, that's a really hard injury to, um, to play through and to deal with. So, uh, but I do think that Adam Larson's back. So when you do your paper napkin uh, calculation and you don't resign Barry and you resign Nuge and Larson, where does that leave us roughly for cap space going into this offseason? Because I know without any free agent sign, it's around 25 million, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, conservatively, uh, I've got, you know, Nuge and Hopkins around $6 million and Larson around $4 million in, in kind of my mind right now. So, you know, you take $10 million off, that's about $14, 15000000 million right there. Um, and that's not even accounting for, you know, a potential James Neal trade or buyout, um, as well as a potential Nico Kostman trade or buyout. So, um, they're you know, both fairly, fairly probable at this point, don't you think? Yeah, I think they're both fairly probable. I mean, the goaltending situation is going to be the most interesting thing I think about this team moving forward. Um, you know, you've got Ilya Konovalov coming over from Russia. Um, who is assumingly coming over to play NHL minutes. Um, I don't really don't see him being a guy heading down to the AHL at all, uh, if he does for not a very long time. Um, obviously, you got Mike Smith at 39, soon to be 40 years old. Um, you know, in the, in the exit interviews today, he wasn't ready to comment on, on his career, uh, his future, if it's with the Oilers, if he's going to retire or anything like that. He was very coy about it all. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Cause I don't think you can bring back Nico Koskinen, um, and, and say that that's a, a good move, but I, I would understand if they did, because I think for, for good stretches, Koskinen was a good goalie for the Oilers this year. Um, you know, basically between, you know, Mike Smith returning and him kind of blowing up in the last three or four games he played this year. It was like a 920, 930, even strength save percentage goalie. That's that's really good. Um, so he was good for the Oilers when they needed him to be. But I think you need somebody in net who is going to be more reliable and more consistent than. Uh, yeah, give the team more like mojo. Like we just, we would shrink when, because we just did not trust him, you know? The, yeah, when you let exactly. in the first goal so many times. Um, so I assume also you're, I mean, we may have on the last episode talked about the, there being changes in the coaching staff. Like you, you're not, you're, you're not looking to make a change in the coaching area, right? No, I mean, you, you might see maybe like an assistant change or, or something like that. Um, my, at minimum, um, you know, Tippett's got a year left on his contract. Uh, so he signed a three-year deal when, when the others brought him in. Um, so obviously he's going to be entering the final year of his contract. Uh, he said he's already talked to Dave Tippett, or sorry, he's already talked to Ken Holland, and there's no interest in doing real any real talks about extension at this point. So it seems like Tippett's going to head into the season as a, um, you know, without an extension, and, and we're going to see what happens. You know, next year I think will be the real tell. I think Tippett is good enough of a coach to get the Oilers um, over that hump, um, but it's going to be interesting to see if if Ken Holland can um, do what he needs to do to help give Dave Tippett more and better weapons throughout his lineup. 
And do you think Ken Holland, given his history, you know, given, you know, I think he's kind of, he's not, he's not a bad GM and that I don't think he makes horrible signings, but you know, every GM can miss just look at the Kyle Turris signing, you know, we could easily sign a free agent for $4 million. That's like a, a total uh, air ball, you know, which worries, what worries yeah. me? Like what worry do you, are you worried about that at all? I mean, you gotta be. Oh, right. definitely. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't have the greatest track record in free agency. Um, you know, he's signed some pretty egregious contracts in, in Detroit that handicapped the team for a number of years. So, you know, knowing that Ken Holland's going into this offseason with, you know, $24 million in cap space, um, as exciting as it is, it's also uh, fairly nerve-wracking as somebody who covers and follows the team and, and wants to see the Oilers be a successful organization. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see what he does. I mean, I think... You know, there's, there's some organizational changes that I could see the Oilers uh, needing to make. Um, you know, I think they need to bring in a, a strong analytics department and, and use that in their analysis a lot more than they do currently because you look at any of the top teams in the NHL and the teams that are going on, Vegas, Toronto, Colorado, uh, just to name a few, have very deep and very strong analytics departments. And that is a big reason why they are so good. And, um, you know, Ken Holland, I don't think is that type of a general manager at this point. So um, it's going to be interesting to see, see what happens. You know, like the, the tourist signing was, um, was obviously a really bad signing. And, you know, I think if anybody looked at the underlying, well, anybody who did look at the underlying numbers of Kyle Turris saw that, you know, he wasn't likely to rebound and I had faith in them. I thought, you know, a change of scenery would be a good thing for him and, and exactly what he needed to kind of uh, revive his career. But he showed that, that's uh, not quite the case right now for him. So, yeah, you know, I think uh, you want to have as much confidence as, confidence as you can in the organization. But, you know, given the track record of not only Holland, but the Oilers in general, um, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the next couple of months here. Uh, once some time has gone by and you've had time to look at that uh, free agent crop, would you come back and come back on and tell us about your, uh, your findings? Very happily. Yep. Awesome. I would very happily. So, so uh, can you just, I mean, on a spiritual level, maybe just speak to oil country as a hockey expert and see if there's any words of encouragement you can give them to help uh, mollify the bitterness of this crushing uh, defeat via sweep by the Winnipeg Jets. Trust the process. Um, that's the best thing that I can say. Um, trust the process. It's, it's disappointing to see this happen. Um, but you know, you look at, Pierre Lebrun of The Athletic wrote an incredible article this morning. Um, I know there's a number of people who don't have subscriptions to it, um, but he, he talked to Ray Shiro and kind of talked to him about what it was like, you know, having Sidney Crosby come into the NHL. You know, when Crosby came into the NHL, Pittsburgh was already a pretty good team. They had a lot of pieces in place and it didn't take them very long to, to build that up uh, even more so around Crosby. You know, but there's other players like Steven Stamkos, like Alexander Ovechkin, uh, Joe Sackick, um, Nathan McKinnon now, who took, you know, years to even get in the playoffs. Like Joe Sackick missed the playoffs in five of his first six years in the NHL. Um, you know, Connor McDavid through his first five years has already had, you know, three years in the playoffs. Um, you know, and, and, those guys have all gone on to win Stanley Cups, like a Sackick and, and Ovechkin and, and now Stamkos. So, you know, these are the bumps and bruises that, you know, a young team 
still learning has to go through over time. It's, it's painful lessons to learn. Uh, it's painful to watch and see, um, you know, the team, you know, fall apart and lose the way that they did here. Um, but at the end of the day, I think this is a team that's, that's built for success in the future. Um, so long as you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl leading the way, I mean, anything can happen. And especially this next year, you know, the Oilers are going to be sitting in a really nice spot in a really weak Pacific division. You know, it's basically going to be like Vegas, the Oilers, five teams who missed the playoffs and the Seattle Kraken. So, you know, it's really going to be interesting to see, um, you know, what the Oilers are able to put together and how they're able to respond going into next season, because, you know, they have an opportunity to, uh, you know, to get a good spot going into the playoffs next year. Um, you know, Vegas is going to be some tough competition in the Pacific, but it's also going to be good for the Oilers because they're going to get to, on a regular basis, play against one of the best teams in the entire league. Um, that makes teams better. So uh, I, I know, you know, I, I can't wait for next season to start already. So um, I, I'm anxious to see what, uh, what can happen. Fantastic. Yeah. Always nice to have a bit of a hopeful note. Um, we encourage all of our listeners to dive headfirst into your summer projects, lose your mind in the work. What are your, uh, what are your projects coming up? Uh, Zach, you got any summer projects? Obviously you got a lot of playoffs to cover coming up here. Yeah. So close out some of the playoff stuff. I know I'll be doing some Leafs and some, some Jets work here. I think, um, you know, beyond that, you know, we're going to be going into this season in review pieces for me with the Oilers. So that's going to be, uh, something I'll be diving into here probably by the end of this week, I'll probably start firing those out on a, uh, a pretty regular basis. So, you know, take a look at the offense, the defense, the special teams and the goaltending, um, do an article on each of those, you know, do, do player by player breakdowns and, and, and that sort of a thing. And then I know we'll have our, our uh, content coming soon, you know, previewing the off season, looking at trade targets, um, you know, looking at uh, free agents and also the draft because, the Oilers held on to their first round draft pick. So, you know, they'll be picking around the, uh, the 20th overall spot somewhere in that vicinity this year. So it'll be interesting to see who they take there or if they trade the pick for that, which uh, I don't think is a terrible idea whatsoever. So, yeah, it's uh, it's off-season mode is as fun for me as in-season mode is. So uh, I can't wait to dive into everything. Awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to read that. Uh, that'll be really fun. Well, I- Zach, as always, thank you for your time and all your hard work. Much appreciated to the listeners. Thank you for listening. Just uh, hold on a little bit longer and we'll start this long march through the summer together, okay?